Hey everyone, my name is Adam and I am a leader here at Trinity Life and I am very excited to continue our Multiply series and to talk to you today about fruit. Fruit is, uh, is one of our elements of our out rhythm. We have up, a relationship with the Father, in relationship with the Bride of Christ, the church, the family of God, and out our relationship with society. And so today is all about the fruit that we bear as we go out on mission engaging society. And, uh, and so let me tell you a little story. So this summer we planted a vegetable garden in my house. Um, it used to be just this little mound of dirt and weeds and uh, every time it would rain the dirt would just run out into the sidewalk. It was really messy and gross. And uh, we decided to make a beautiful wooden frame around it, uh, around the edges of it, to contain the dirt and uh, and then do something um, that would be kind of fun and adventurous for us. And so, uh, <laughs> the my hesitation starting this little adventure was that I've hated gardening my entire life. My parents used to, you know, make me pick weeds. It would be blazing hot. So I'd be a little kid pulling weeds out of interlocking brick. It is literally the least fun activity that you'll ever do in your life. Um, and so when we engage on this uh, this journey. I was a little hesitant um, and, uh, and and there's some other reasons for that too. I was worried about all this effort would it actually amount to anything uh, because we wanted to do vegetables that we could actually eat from and so would it would it actually would it actually produce. Um, we started uh, uh, we started late in the season, and so we're like, oh no, we're putting all this effort in now. Will it, will it matter? Uh, in the end, maybe we should just wait. You know, we're coming up with reasons to delay and just not, not do the, the fun thing. Um, and, uh, but we decided to just do our best with what we knew how to do, right? I don't know much about gardening. I don't know much about vegetables. I don't know much about dirt or fertilization or whatever. Um, and, uh, and so we got a little advice from people uh, that we knew. So my, my wife's sister's husband, so my brother-in-law, he's got about a quarter acre plot in, uh, they're down in Georgia, and he turned this horrible Georgia clay into this beautiful uh, soil for producing tons of tomatoes and garlic and watermelons and cucumbers and all this great stuff. And I remember, I remember tilling that ground and pulling out rocks and getting it ready. And it was a lot of hard work, but he's learned a lot in the last few years. And so we got some advice from him. And and, uh, and he said the best thing to do was to just get the soil healthy and ready and just planting anything was totally worth it because it meant that by next year, the year after, all the roots would, would make our soil healthy. Um, we were, uh, we were also worried about, oh, like, you know, we dug, we dug down deep and underneath all the, all the dirt was just sand. And so I had to spend all this time pulling sand out and putting dirt in. And, and, uh, and would it amount to anything? Would the soil be healthy to, to produce anything? Um, but, uh, but hey, we, we went through with it. We did it. We had these, these little tiny sprouts we got from the nursery. And, the, and, and funny story, the, the lady was so excited by what we were doing. She just started handing us a bunch of free stuff. She gave us tomato plants. She gave us cauliflower. She gave us all this fun stuff. And so our garden, our garden uh, well, it had lots of stuff in it. It still has lots of stuff in it. We planted these little sprouts, planted them all in nice little rows, some romaine lettuce, some, some green leaf lettuce, some red leaf lettuce, and kale, and, and collard greens and chili peppers and whatnot and uh, lo and behold a few weeks later faster than I would have thought after some watering some care some fertilizer and all that um, we had vegetables and we had vegetables that we could eat we had we had bell peppers growing off our romaine lettuce was healthy and robust and we started making salads and whatnot and so what's what's the point of all this 
Um, well, uh, in the kingdom economy, it's okay if you haven't ever liked doing something that God wants you to do. Like, let's say, going out, engaging society, sharing your faith. <clears throat> because God is ensuring you that there is beauty and passion even in the things that you may be afraid of. Uh, out of our vegetable garden, we were able to feed our family, save a little money. You know those buckets of, uh, of, of spinach leaves? They're like five bucks a bucket. We have unlimited lettuce growing out of our own garden right in front of our house now. We were able to bless our neighbors. Every time we see a neighbor, we send them home with bags of lettuce. Um, so we were able to multiply our blessing. Um, and... We were able to create community. So now we are sharing our crops with our neighbors who also have vegetable gardens. So we give a little bit of lettuce, they give a little bit of tomatoes, we give a little bit of that, they give a little bit of this, and our community now is growing. What else does this story mean? It means your efforts are adding, they're always adding, to the deposit of kingdom energy that's compounding in this city, right? It doesn't matter if the crops don't produce a full yield of, of fruit or vegetables right now because they're adding to the kingdom effort. The soil's getting healthier. Next year the crops will grow bigger. We'll get more biodiversity and nutrients in the soil so that one day there will be a beautiful harvest. It tells us, too, to look to the unseen. We didn't see the, the, the crop of vegetables. We had to wait for it. And guess what? Even the worst reaction, everything dies, whatnot, right? Even the worst reaction can turn around into something beautiful. So if all our crops would have died this year, it would have produced beautiful nutrients. Um, despite our lack of knowledge, right, we can jump into things with hope guiding us and learn along the way as we go. And you never know what's going to happen. And lastly, community will give you the strength, wisdom, accountability, and encouragement that you need to go forward. And so, we go. And so here's my big hope for you guys, that our church would find sustenance, joy, delight, energy, and life in living like Jesus and seeing kingdom fruit produced here. And so here's, here's the setting for this. Here's the passage of scripture that is like, got me so fired up to, to teach you about this concept. And this is in John chapter 4. We read it uh, in its entirety earlier. And, uh, and so now I'm going to skim through most of it and we're going to focus on a little part of it. And so here we go. We are at this classic story, the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well. Now, interesting thing about this story, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Um, <clears throat> let's pause right there. Right, So it starts, the context here, disciple making. And the Pharisees get involved and so on. And he goes off, he goes through Samaria. Um, he comes to a particular town named Sychar and he meets this woman uh, at the watering well. And so uh, I, won't, I won't go through everything. You heard the passage. Hopefully those truths are, are on your mind. The story is on your mind and I'm just going to reflect on some of its big ideas. So here's the context. So uh, Jesus meets this woman, social outcast, um, 
people knew her, right? As we learned, she was, uh, she didn't just have one husband, she had five husbands, and so she was getting around, uh, so social outcasts, people looked down on her. She's probably here in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day doing the heavy labor because she's avoiding um, the, the, the repercussions of being around people who know who she is. And, uh, and Jesus is there in this beautiful moment um, to meet her, all right? And so what does he do? He reorients her identity, right? He reorients uh, her idea of worship, right? Not this mountain, not that mountain, but spirit and truth. Uh, he reorients her idea of religion in that moment, right? Like, like hey, you and, and, and your scriptures and all this said that mountain, but... You know, and, and them and their scriptures say this mountain, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is living water, true worship, spirit, truth. He reorients her idea of culture, right? Worship, God, transcends borders. It's not about Samaria and, and, uh, and Israel. We can be a blessing to the nations, right? He reorients her idea of relationship, right? She goes off. Not feeling like a social outcast anymore, but welcoming others into kingdom community. And he reorients her idea of God, right? So we know, we know this story. It's a popular story, right? She's revealed for who she really is. Hey, you don't just have one. You have five husbands, right? In this interaction, she's ready. This is somebody who's ready to be honest before God about who she really is. Are you? Are you? Good question. Uh, Religious re reconciliation is possible. <clears throat> Cultural reconciliation is possible. A greater uh, and clarified vision for the kingdom is possible. And what is this all leading to? This leads, like the end of the story, this leads her somewhere, right? Because it totally transforms her life. This motivates her towards mission. She goes out and she's sharing about what Jesus said to her, right? She's got a, she's got a very simplified gospel message. He told me everything that I ever did, right? She doesn't need a grand theology of mission to go out and share her faith. She just needs a love for Jesus and an appreciation for what he's done for her. <clears throat> she doesn't have a fear of others anymore after, after this interaction. She just has a love for Jesus. She doesn't worry about her past anymore, um, from what we can tell. She just goes out and engages with the people who would have been um, uh, ostracizing her. Uh, she just has a love for Jesus. <clears throat> and now, after this encounter, she can authentically share with the whole world around her. It's beautiful. So the question then becomes, how's it going for you? How's it going? This is clearly a natural reaction to a direct encounter with the God incarnate, the God of the universe, become flesh, humble himself in the form of a servant. How's it going for you? If you don't share your faith, uh, ask yourself why right now. This is a good moment for that. Why? If you haven't shared your faith this week, or today even, um, ask yourself why. Why? Right? We, we can't live off the accolades of the past. Right? I shared my faith once. I led one person to Jesus. Ask yourself why if it hasn't happened today. 
And then say, is, is my love for Jesus robust or is it waning? Is it fruitful or is it stale? What does my life look like right now? Am I hiding from community or am I pressing into community? Have I started avoiding even the minimum level of interaction with the body of Christ? Do you come up with excuses for why you are doing that? Why, 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 why? Why does this happen like this, right? And what's the solution? What's, what's the solution for this? Because the topic of sharing our faith can be so hard and so triggering and so uh, uh, fearful and confusing and there's, it's so cloudy and we don't know what to do with it and we end up, we end up falling back into uh, old ways of thinking so easily. Well, um, the, uh, the, story, the story goes on and I think we often read the story of the woman at the well and we end the story when she leaves the scene, right? We end the story there. But the solution, I think, comes after the woman at the well leaves the scene. And so we need to keep reading the Bible uh, through all together in large chunks to maintain the big story. Okay, so the woman leaves the scene, right? Uh, and this is around verse 29, um, where she goes, 28, 29. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So this is her short little gospel presentation. Um, and the disciples come back. And this is, I love this. I love when the disciples come back. Okay. So they come back and they come back with lunch. And we know it's around lunch because it's about, it's about midday um, is the assumption here. And this, it, the conversation goes something like this. Like, hey, Jesus, we got lunch. And he's like, I don't need lunch. And they're like, what? Who, who gave Jesus lunch? <laughs> says, no, 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 no. Guys, guys, you don't understand. He's always doing this with the disciples, right? Like they just don't understand and he's always clarifying. And so he says it like this. So, and this is, oh man, like, pay attention to this moment right here. This is his response. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I'll read it again. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Whoa! Like, that is unreal, that statement. It floored me. I was reading through this just in my devotion time a couple months ago, and I have been referring back to this passage over and over and over. I think this passage is totally essential for the next season in the life of our church, and I have been repeating this Line, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work over and over and over to people. It's this passage, like there's something in me, something in my soul, in my heart, in my mind that I couldn't articulate in this passage made so many things coalesce together for me um, about about the economy of God's kingdom and how it works and all these loose threads that I knew were, were meant to form something finally came together and I was able to articulate it much more clearly. Whether I accomplish that today in this 30 minutes or not is up for debate, but that's fine, we'll see. Hopefully that happens. And, and, it's, and it's something, so this, this kingdom economy, this way of working, I, I saw a disconnect from it in in people in church. And uh, 
<clears throat> and so here's, here's what I realized, right, about this statement. It's the very thing that we need, the very thing that we need is found in obedience and faithfulness to what God is calling us to do. Trust, perseverance, hope in the things that God is calling us to do and His promise, His premises that are wrapped all around His mission. Why do I say it like that? I've seen so many people struggle with worldly concerns, especially recently, who are close to us, that we love, heard stories about from the extended church, our church. I've heard stories from other churches and, and even outside the church, you know, just my friends and neighbors. So many stories of people struggling with worldly concerns, right? And most people, when they struggle with worldly concerns, right? So uh, illness, job security, money, relationships, career, you know, car issues, relationship issues, all this stuff, right? When we struggle with, this, with these things, for some reason, we choose the path of less obedience. Why do we do that? We withdraw from serving. We stop pursuing people in relationships. And, and, and we start to expect others to pour into us because we're like, this is my season of suffering. This is my time to be burdened. You serve me. We expect people to feed us, right? Have you ever met someone who's, uh, who's thinking about switching churches, right? What do they always say? I'm not being... I don't even need to say it because you just said it out loud. I'm not being fed anymore. And what are they usually referring to, right? I'm, they say the sermons aren't good enough or the music is not their style or whatever. You know who expects other people to feed them? This might hurt, and I, I love you. Babies. People who expect other people to feed them are babies. That's what we do for babies. We spoon feed them. We teach them how to eat. <clears throat> Let's keep on rolling through this. Ask yourself, am I a spiritual baby? Do I expect other people to feed me? But let's keep rolling through. So Jesus says that the very thing that you need to sustain you and feed you, right, is something different than we might have thought, right? It's not actual physical worldly food like a sandwich or mom's spaghetti. <clears throat> what does food mean here? Does, does, is Jesus saying spiritual people don't need to eat food? No. What he's saying is, that food, the thing, the thing that we really need to be sustained, to have life, to find comfort, joy, energy, renewal, to sustain us, is to do the Father's will and accomplish His work. Interesting. It's very different than what we usually lean into. The food, that food, if we eat that food, that prevents us from getting hangry. Anyone get hangry? Aha! <laughs> what about spiritually hangry? Do you have overwhelming fear, anxiety, depression, 
loneliness, doubt, or apathy towards, well, just in your life in general, or towards the church or the kingdom of God? What's the cure for spiritual hangriness? What is it? Well, Jesus says that our food isn't in other people accomplishing the work and doing his will. It's not in other people doing that. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he takes that on for himself. So, are you feeling depressed? Go pursue community. Share your faith and life. Feeling anxious? Go love somebody else. Feeling heavy from all the burdens of everything that seems to be going wrong in your life? Go serve someone who's carrying more burdens than you. And if you're like, I'm the most burdened person that I know in my life, you need to repent of that. There are people in this world who are way more burdened than you, and all you have to do is open your eyes. That's hard. That's a hard word, right? But here we go. Don't just take it from me or the Bible. If you think you need more than that, that's, that's fine. Let's look to the academy, right? Let's look to the academy. All right. <clears throat> um, we've done our own studies on these things, and there's a workbook for, uh, for um, uh, treatments, CBT, DBT, that are highly recommended um, to treat the, you know, mental illnesses like, uh, like overwhelming anxiety, depression, illness, right? Like um, emotional uh, regulation, right? Just what swings in, in mood or emotion. Uh, DBT, CBT are, are work fairly well for these things. Um, and it's, it's a recommended course of therapy in the academy. And in the opening chapters of the DBT workbook, I've been going through it. Um, and my, wife, my wife's been going through it telling me, and then I've reviewed it a little bit. Uh, in the opening chapters of the workbook for those struggling with these ailments, one key recommended treatment is to distract yourself with others. Not yourself and your own concerns, but with other people. Very interesting. It says three things about that, and I've, I've paraphrased them in my own words. One, uh, serve someone else and bless them. Regain perspective on society and open your eyes to the world around you. Very interesting. Number, that was number two. Number three, fill your thoughts with people who represent the ultimate good and imagine what they would speak over you in this moment, in your moment of hardship. Wow, I was, I was flabbergasted, right? Replace the lies of your own mind with the truth of Jesus. That's basically what it's saying. Producing fruit means going out, sowing seeds, watering, doing his will, accomplishing his work, seeing it come to uh, fruition, produce and bear beautiful fruit. In the kingdom economy is the very thing you need to see the transformation that you desire. Wow. You need sustenance? Obey Jesus. You need renewal? Obey Jesus. You need motivation? Obey Jesus. You need joy? Obey Jesus. You need adventure? Obey Jesus. You need freedom? Obey Jesus. You need energy? Obey Jesus. Are you feeling depressed? Obey Jesus. Are you feeling anxious? Obey Jesus. Are you feeling like you have no hope? 
Obey Jesus. Are you feeling like the world is horrible and folding in around you and you can't do anything but get out of bed? Obey Jesus. Are you feeling alone? Go out and obey Jesus. Are you feeling oppressed? Go and obey Jesus. All of the problems in your life will fade into the background. I'm not telling you they're going to go away. But they'll fade into the background. Not when you stop obeying and do less in the economy of God's kingdom, but when you actively obey, do His will, and accomplish His work. It's totally upside down. I was, uh, I was really sick um, in the summer. Well, not really sick, but, you know. Anyway, we got COVID. Uh, <clears throat> and... I had asthma as a kid, so it was affecting my lungs, and so I spent, you know, a bunch of days just doing nothing, you know, relaxing, resting, recovering, body was weak, you know, getting headaches, all that kind of stuff, um, coughs started to form, my lungs were feeling stressed, and, uh, and after, after days of, um, of inactivity, I realized, man, my lungs are feeling weak, they're acting weak and they can't, they're unable to fight this thing off, seemingly. What's, what do I do? And uh, I said, man, okay, well, let's strengthen my lungs. I just started going out for speed walks. And I went out in the, the middle of the night. I sped walking around uh, a pond near a house. And I would just cough and cough and cough. And when I felt, uh, after a couple of days of that, I started getting stronger. I said, wow, maybe I can run. So I started running, even though I was tired and I didn't I wanted to do anything else but run. And my body was hurting and I was coughing. And as I was running, I'd, I'd cough, you know, and, and but I did that for like three, four days. Gone. Boom. Cough, gone. Lungs, strong. Energy, top notch. Body pain, gone. Everything gone in just a few days of doing something that was the opposite of what I wanted to do. Now, hey, I'm not a doctor, I'm not prescribing this for you, I don't know your situation or what's going on, but that's what worked for me, and it was count I realized it was counterintuitive to my natural urges, All right? <clears throat> the kingdom economy is upside down. Okay, so after all that, you, uh, you might say, um, you might say, hey, Adam, um, how do you know what is God's will and God's work, right? And, uh, because, and this, is, this is my issue with cutting off that story, right? <clears throat> we miss this back part. And we often preach just verses, I think it's about 31 and onwards, right? And we separate out the woman at the well story from that. Um, so we, we start with Jesus saying, this is my food, you know. Um, and we don't know that he was just talking to the woman at the well. And, and so, what I would say is, how do we know what God's will is? Well, just look at what Jesus was just doing. Look at what he just finished doing. Transforming a woman's life. Giving her truth. Talking to her about living water. Um, leading her to a fresh perspective of the economy of God and worship and her own identity. That's God's will and God's work. He was just doing it. 
He was just doing it. Just look at what he was doing right in front of us, right? Um, the passage starts with Jesus making disciples. That's like the zoomed out version. It's like, hey, here's the intro, making disciples. And then it zooms in and Jesus makes a disciple. He was just doing it. The, the story climaxes, right, with the woman going out to do it. It's a beautiful story. And then it ends with this part at the end, right, where Jesus invites us us to do that as well, his disciples to do that as well, when he starts talking about the harvest. And so questions like that, like, well, how do you know what God's will is? They become less necessary in the direct context of this and less confusing if we uh, treat the Bible as an integrated story, right? And then we... We can go out and share our faith. We can actually accomplish His work. We can, let's say it another way, eat food, life, sustaining food. Let's put it another way. We can live as kingdom disciples, hearing and obeying, engaging society to see the church arise. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? We can, let's put it another way, discover identity in Christ or help others discover identity in Christ and influence our city and the world. It's all the same thing, right? This is God's will and this is His work. And if we didn't get it, He continues to speak about it after He says that His will and the work is His food. Right. Um, let's read verses 35 to 38. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. They're ready. It's time. Already the one who reaps, that's the one who is collecting the harvest, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. We know this is a spiritual parable gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower, that's the one who has planted the seeds and gotten the harv- uh, gotten the, uh, done all the preparation work for the crops, and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Beautiful, beautiful. You're not alone. The work has been going on. The Spirit's been moving. The church has been active. Seeds have been sown. God made them grow, Jesus said, right? We plant and water. God makes it grow. So God has been making something grow, and you just have to go out and reap the harvest. And we come back. We get a little glimpse of the woman at the well again, right? And I think this is very intentional. In verse uh, 39, because if we, if we still didn't understand what's God's will, what's his work, 39 uh, tells us again, right? Because it goes back to that first story and it brings it all full circle for us, right? Here it is. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Amazing, right? Do his will, accomplish his work. That is your food and you will see fruit. That is how you do out. Um, 
I love that. And this is just a small tip for you guys if you want to get started or if it's been a while and you need, you need to jump back in. Look at her gospel message. Just look at it. It's not eloquent, right? It's not complicated. It's not full of strange theology. It's not apologetics, right? It's my encouragement to you. Just tell people about the Jesus that you know not the Jesus that you don't know. He told me all that I ever did. Is this the Christ? Don't feel shame about what you don't know. You're ready. She was ready. You can be ready too. Be free from your performance anxiety. Say it the right way. Get it right. Be perfect. Don't have fear about evangelism. May I be so bold to say that fear of sharing your faith and talking about the Jesus you know is a lack of trust in the Holy Spirit. Your worship needs to be also, furthermore, candid and credible. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 26-27, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Changed life, changed action. Right? You have to live it out. And if you live it out, it further goes to show and further uh, legitimizes your message that you're bringing when you live out. I'll close with this interesting fact, an interesting illustration that I heard um, someone else say on this. They said a few years ago, so the exact numbers and years will be a little bit off if we tried to do this today. But anyway, here we go. So let's take two ways of doing evangelism. Ready? Number one, you gather 50,000 people in a stadium for 35 years every night. Every night, 50,000 new people who don't know about Jesus gather into the Rogers Center. It's full, full up. Every single seat in the house is full. 50,000 new people never heard about Jesus <clears throat> every night. And let's say 1,000 people meet Jesus at that event. And you did that for 35 years. In terms of global evangelism and the growth of the population globally, you're further behind than when you started 35 years previous. It's crazy. But if you, you make one disciple this year and they make one disciple next year and you make one disciple next year who then makes one disciple the year after, one disciple who makes one disciple. If you do that, Global Missions is done by 2065. All you have to do is make one disciple each year who makes one disciple each year. And the mission of God is accomplished in 35 years. 
blew my mind. Let me pray for us. God, would you restore us with beautiful, healthy, luscious kingdom food. May we be open-handed at all times, saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it, I'm ready despite my shortcomings, despite my doubts, despite my fears and my anxieties, I am ready to do your will and accomplish your work. God, forgive me for the moments that I have held back in fear. God, forgive me for the moments I have not trusted in your spirit. God, forgive me for the moments I have looked just with my eyes to see the worldly things and not hoped in your promises and your faithfulness. God, lead us as a church out to engage society. God, lead us as a church to bear fruit. And may we make one disciple who makes one disciple and see your kingdom come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.